0: If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Our sermon title today is called Rejoice in the Lord. So let's read Philippians 3 verses 1 to 11. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness, righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that my, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So, as a people, we tend to guard things that we treasure, when somebody treasures their, their health and their workout time, we, we guard that. We, we put it in the schedule. We don't allow anybody to sort of, sort of creep in and make sure that we cannot do that. When we treasure our car, we park it far away, right? Like, just halfway on the other side of the mall. Why? You don't want anybody to, you want anybody to hit it. You don't want anybody to touch it. I, we got a new car recently. I've said this before. My previous car was the worst car in Ontario, and so we got a new vehicle, and I... We, there was a little scratch on it the other day, and I was like, who did this? <laughs> we treasure, we guard the things that we treasure. When, you, when there's a newborn, you treasure your newborn. You don't just let anybody touch the newborn. You don't just let anybody kiss the baby. We were visiting Kim's uh, mom a couple weeks ago around Christmas time, and I was holding Irie, our, our youngest boy, and this lady comes in, and she's like, he's so cute. And then she went in for a kiss, and I was like, whoa, whoa. And I almost like gave her like, you know, the face wash, like the push away. But I remembered she might come to church, you know. So. <laughs> but you, you don't just let, you, when you treasure something, you guard it. We guard things that we treasure. And this passage tells us that we are to be a people who are full of joy. And it tells us also that we are to guard our joy. We are to be people who are full of joy because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us, but we are are to guard our joy. See, Christians should be full of joy all the time. So we need to guard our joy. We are to be full of joy all the time, so we need to guard our joy. Verse one says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So the passage starts with this command, this command to rejoice, to be full of joy. And some people need to hear that command. As you sit here today, if you're honest, you're like, I'm not full of joy. I don't have the joy in the Lord that I had at one point. It's not there anymore. You need to hear that command to rejoice. And notice that it says, in the Lord. He says rejoice in the Lord. See, true joy does not come from our circumstances. True joy does not come from what is going on in our life. True joy comes from who God is, what he has done, and what he is doing in you, and what he has promised to you. That is where joy comes from. St. Clair Ferguson said, our circumstances provide an all too fickle foundation for profound and lasting joy but joy in the Lord is able to coexist with all kinds of situations. You see that? When you're really rejoicing in the Lord, no matter what the difficult thing is, it can coexist because your joy is not dependent on the thing going on. Your joy is dependent on who God is, what he has done, what he is doing in you, what he has promised to you. Its source does not live in our changing circumstances but in, the, in our unchanging Savior and in the joy-giving word he has spoken to us. That is where true joy comes from. See, one of the reasons why so many people are discouraged, one of the reasons why so many people are defeated is because oftentimes they're trying to find joy in something other than Jesus Christ. And when our, when our joy is, is settled into these circumstantial things that are always changing, the joy comes and goes. But when it's in Christ, it can sustain, can sustain and be lasting. Paul says, to write the same thing to you is safe. He says, it's no trouble for me to say the same thing to you. See, he knows that as a pastor, you repeat yourself a lot. I was thinking about this this week. I was working on the message. I'm like, I feel like I've said this before to the church. You, you, one of the biggest challenges of preaching and being a pastor is you say the same thing all the time. Uh, Like you just you go into meetings and you say it again. You get up to preach and you say it again, and that is a huge challenge. But here's the thing, the temptation to tell people things, something that is new, to tell someone something that is new, sometimes that temptation leads you to a place where you say things that are not true. And there's so many people who are trying so hard to like tell people new things and all that. And then when you listen, what they're saying is not true. We need to hear the same things over and over again because that is what is true from the word of God, and he says that to hear the same thing is safe for us. Think about that. To hear that old gospel proclaimed again is just safe. Not to hear something new that makes me feel good about myself, but just to be reminded of the truth of the gospel is safe for us. See, what we're going to hear today isn't new, but it's safe. It's good for us to hear it again. What we're going to hear today tells us how to guard our joy. Here's the first thing. We will have joy when we watch out for false teaching. We will have joy when we watch out for false teaching. Verse 2 says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Notice, Three times in verse two, he says, look out. I've said this before as well. If you're ever reading your Bible and you're trying to figure out what is going on, just look for repeated words. You wanna understand like what the scripture is saying? Just look. If you're like John 15, abide, abide, abide. What Jesus talking about? Abiding in him as a source of strength to live your life. And so here Paul says, look out, look out. It's like a person, you're seeing somebody about to be hit by a car, like watch out. And the reason why he tells them look out is because he believes that very soon they're going to experience some extremely harmful teaching. And the language he uses tells us that he actually is taking it very seriously. He calls them evildoers. He says that they're mutilators of the flesh, referring to this idea that there's these, these people there who are Judaizers, they're called. And what they're telling the Philippians is, in order for you to be a Christian is that you need to be circumcised. You need to do something. And Paul says that this is a complete distortion of the gospel. He says it's evil. See, false teachers are evil because when you actually listen closely, what they're saying to you is not the gospel at all. And it's wicked what they're doing. And when somebody gets up and they present something as the gospel that it's not, what they're really doing is they're putting people's lives in jeopardy because this is a real life and death thing that we're talking about. It's serious what is going on. And so he calls it what it is, he says it's evil. He tells them to watch out. The same way he commands them to watch out, we are commanded and should also watch out. Acts 17 tells us one of the best ways to do this. It says, as soon as it was night, The brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So they get there, and the first thing they do is they go in where there are people gathered, and they begin proclaiming the word of God. It says, the people here were more noble than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness. So they were eager. They're like, we want to hear from the word. Eagerness, and examine the scriptures daily. Here it is to see if these things were so. One of the ways you can know if somebody's teaching you something that is false is to know the word of God. <clears throat> is to say, I heard what you said, Marv, but I'm going to check because I'm called to that. And if you go to the word and you see that what is said is not in line with the word of God, you call it what it is, false. You speak directly to it. See, false teaching steals our joy because it won't lead us to a place of joy. It will lead us, if we buy into it, to a place of misery. See, anything that says that we have to add something to the gospel is dangerous and won't bring us joy. Anything that said we have to do something, that we have to bring something to it is not good news, it's bad news. See, we gain our salvation not by what we do, but by believing in what Jesus Christ has done. Believing in his work on the cross. And when we believe, we are welcomed into the people of God. You're like, where do you get that? Verse 3. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. See, the people of God are no longer defined by what has happened to them physically. They're defined by what has happened to them spiritually. That the spirit is at work in us, that we are given a new heart, that we have this ability now to obey and follow God. Here's something to be joyful about every day. You're like, what's one thing that I could be joyful about every day? You are a part of the people of God. You're in, Ray Ray said it when he was up here, you're in the family of God. All because of the mercy of God. Do you know that? You're in the family, not because of anything that you did. Not because of anything that I've done. All because of the mercy of God. First Peter says, once we were not a people, our reality before Christ. Once we were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is what's over you. When God looks, there's just mercy over your head. Mercy over your head everyday life. We have received mercy. We received the mercy of God all because the Son of God was willing to take the wrath of God in our place. And here's the thing. God has shown us mercy once. Ask yourself, why would he not be willing to show you mercy again? If God has shown mercy to us once, he will show us mercy again. That's why the psalmist says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And some people hear that and they don't believe it. That goodness and mercy is what follows us all the days of our lives, but it's true. See, when you're anxious about your job, When you're anxious about that exam that is coming up, when you're anxious about that relational thing going on, you go to the God of mercy. When you're confused about your living situation, should we buy, should we sell? Are we gonna live in this place for the rest of our lives? You go to the God of mercy. When you're struggling to raise your kids, you're in the trenches of bringing up humans. And you're seeing so much, not how bad they are, but how bad you are because of selfishness, because of how much we just want our me time. When you're in that battle, you go to the God of mercy. When you're longing to see that child that you raised, that you told about Jesus Christ, but now they're not walking with Jesus Christ. When you're longing to see them come back to Christ, you go to the God of mercy. When there are setbacks in your business, a whole bunch of people have just walked away and you're like, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna put it all together? You go to the God of mercy. When you're trying to overcome impulsive behavior, you just can't stop doing that thing over and over and over. When you're trying to overcome your your challenge of spending money wildly, what do you do? You don't go to yourself. You go to the God of mercy. He has shown us mercy once. Whatever your thing is, Whatever that thing is in your life, you go to the God of mercy. If he's shown mercy once, he will show mercy again as we ask him in prayer for help. And here's the thing when you go to God for help. You might not get exactly what you want, but I promise you, you will always, say it with me, always. always. You will always, say it again. Always, always get what you need. You may not get exactly what you want, but because he is a loving and good father, you will always get what we need. And the people of God are described in three ways. First, Paul says that we worship by the Spirit of God. That means the Spirit is in us. And we are now able, because the Spirit is alive in us, to live lives that are pleasing to God. That's why Romans 12 says, Brothers and sisters, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. The Spirit is in us. We are able to worship God with our living. And it says that we, that the people of God glory in Christ Jesus. The Greek word here has the idea of having your trust and confidence in something. To glory in Christ is to, just, is to trust in See, the people of God have put all of their confidence in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says we put no confidence in the flesh. When all my confidence is in Christ, I have no confidence in the flesh. And this idea of confidence in the flesh just means looking at my achievements and trusting in those things to save me. Looking at myself and trusting that I can save myself. He says the people of God don't do that. The people of God put no confidence in their flesh. That's point number two. How how can I protect and guard my joy? To put no confidence in the flesh. Verse four, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee; as to a persecutor of the, uh, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church; as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says, if they're going to say to to do something that gives you confidence in something that you have done, he says, no one has more can have more confidence than me, and he lists multiple things, multiple things that he can be confident in. And in listing these things, what he's telling them is that, he's that my parents followed the Mosaic law to a T. They did everything they were supposed to do. He tells them, I'm from one of the greatest families in the people of Israel. He tells them, I was, I was committed to Jewish life. He says, I've had the best education. He says, I've lived a moral life. I've done everything right, and my parents have done everything right. Right. And then he says, as to zeal a persecutor of the church. Paul tried to kill Christians. He went out of his way to harm Christians. He voted for them to be killed. He witnessed executions. When Paul was saved, Acts chapter nine, if you read it, when he was saved, he was on his way to do more harm. See, Paul is a picture of the truth that there is no heart that God cannot change. Think right now of the most hostile person you know to Christianity. Think about the most hostile person in your life because they, they know you are following and walking with Jesus. Just think about that person and realize that as hostile as they are, if God wants them in the family, it's like that that there's nothing they can do. There's no heart that God cannot change. And this is why when we face hostility for our faith, we don't go attacking. We think, like, I've got to to defend myself. The best way to defend yourself is to pray for that person. To ask God to work in their life to change their heart and use that person for his glory because he can do it. Paul lists all of his achievements and he says, I have no confidence in it. Frank Thielman summarizes this really well. He says, this does not mean that Paul thought of himself as sinless prior to his conversion. It means instead that his parents had done everything for him that the law required Jews to do and that he himself had diligently observed the law. Paul trusted that one day his heritage and these achievements would help him stand acquitted before God. But when God apprehended him, saved him, Paul saw them for what they were, fleshly and therefore fallible human efforts, tainted with sin, and therefore unable to receive God's approval. That's why we don't put confidence in the flesh. We don't put confidence in our Achievements. We don't put our confidence in anything other than the work of Jesus Christ. See, trusting your works to save you gives you no peace. And here's why it gives you no peace. You never know if you've done enough. There's some faith out there that say, like, you gotta you gotta work your way in, but here's the thing: you're never at peace because you're like, is it enough? See, the only thing that is enough is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His perfect life lived for us, the death that he died in our place, and his resurrection. And that's why when Jesus is hanging there about to die, what does he say? It is finished. And that is where our trust is to be. Now here's how this passage speaks to non-Christians. If you're a non-Christian, if you know non-Christian people and you ever get a chance to sort of talk to them about the gospel. Here's how this passage speaks to non-Christians. Paul lift, listing his achievements show that non-Christians can live a very moral life. In truth, some non-Christians live better than Christians. But the reality is moralism saves no one. It's not enough. You need perfect righteousness. And the only person who can provide that is Jesus Christ, the only one who has lived perfectly. And so when you, when you stop and you think, if you're thinking my moral ways of living can save me, that somehow I'm going to stand before God and it's all going to be all right. It won't be unless you're standing there in Christ. Only the work of Jesus Christ Can save. And so, to the non Christian, what you are to do is to be like Paul. Put no confidence in the flesh. Put all of your confidence in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Because trusting Christ now, having your confidence in Christ, you know what it does? It gives you joy now. Remember, joy is not based on circumstances, joy is based on who God is, what He has done. What he is doing in us and what he has promised to us, trusting in Christ now, gives me joy now and promises me and guarantees me joy later. We must believe the gospel. My first job was at Wendy's. And I got the job because my aunt was a manager and I kept the job because my aunt was a manager. I was one of the laziest person people at that place, I, looking back, I'm like, they should have fired me day two. But they kept me. I was a really good fry guy, and I mastered the four-corner press. I mean, I could drop fries like nobody's business. My first paycheck was $250. And I remember getting it and thinking, this is amazing. Somebody paid me to be lazy. I got on the bus right after work and immediately went to the mall and spent, guys remember, I wasn't a Christian, okay? Spent the entire check on these. My man. Anthony right here said, they're worth it. That brother is right. Those, if you don't know, for the uninitiated, let me help you. Those are Michael Jordan 8s. Those are the greatest shoes ever made. Wait, in the entire world. And I had no problems walking into the Foot Locker. I walked in, I said, size 10, now, here, here's the money. And dropped all of it. Even looking at them now, my heart longs. <laughs> Pray that Kim would let me get a pair. Longs. For, I tre- the reason why I could give all that money up is because I treasured these. And Shayon asked me early in the week, what happened to them? When I became a Christian, I gave them away. I, that's the one thing. I'm like, oh. <laughs> the music, fine, you know, but the kicks, you know what I'm saying? I treasured them more than the money. And so I was willing to give it up. See, the way I treasured those jays is the way Paul treasures Christ. Look at verse 7. It says, but whatever I gain, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, we will have joy when we watch out for false teaching. When we put no confidence in the flesh. in this last one, when we treasure Christ above all. When we treasure Jesus Christ above all. Paul shares his heart here. He's, he's okay with being vulnerable. He says, whatever I gain, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. And notice in verse 8, he calls Jesus Lord. By calling him Lord, he reminds us, this is the way we are to see Jesus Christ. See, he is our Savior, but he is also our Lord. And so when Jesus tells us to do something, it's not a suggestion. When you read the word and you, and you see what the, what the word is saying and the spirit of God shows you what you are to do, how you are to walk in it, we are to do it. It's not a suggestion. And here's the thing, when we do what Jesus says, it always leads to joy. Obedience always leads to joy and our good. And so we, we do what he says. Paul says, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in verse eight. He says, when I look at all those things that I've just listed, in comparison to Christ, they're rubbish. If you have a King James Version, your translation actually gets this word right. It translates it, dung. He says it's all trash. And that's because he treasured Christ more. And because he treasured Christ more, giving up those things was easy. It was easy for him to do. See, when someone rejects the gospel... What's going on is that they're treasuring something more than Christ. And if you're in a moment where you're presenting the gospel to them, and they're like, ah, that's not for me. Here's a great question to ask. Will that thing that you're treasuring more than Jesus Christ right now, do you believe that that will bring you lasting joy? And that's just a good question to ask. Do you believe it will bring you lasting joy? Because it will not. The only person that brings us lasting joy is Christ. See, he... Paul, he treasured Jesus Christ for who he is and for what he gained by faith through Christ. There's some specific benefits. There's some specific things that he gained from being in Christ. Here's, he, he gains full justification. Look at verse 9. It says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through Faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he says, at the end of my life, I don't want to be found having a righteousness of my own. That won't be enough. At the end of my life, I want to be found having the righteousness of Christ. See, when you trust in Christ, what happens is, is his perfect life is imputed to you. There's, it's imputed righteousness, and you're fully justified in the sight of God and so when God looks at you all he sees is justified. All he sees is no longer a sinner but a saint in my son. We are redeemed in Christ. He gains full justification, but then he gains ongoing transformation. There's a gaining of ongoing transformation. Verse 10 says that I may be that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering becoming like him in his death. See, Paul knows Christ, but he wants to know him in an even deeper way. And here's the thing. One of the ways that we really go deep in our relationship with Jesus, one of the ways we really know Christ deeply is through suffering. Now, as your pastor, I never wish suffering on any of you. I know some of the struggles that are going on with people in this church, and it's, some days it's hard for me. Our elders, we talk, we pray, we, it's, it's a, we, we wish that we could just fix people's situations. None of us wish struggle and suffering on anyone. But here's the thing, though. In your struggle, in your suffering, you've got to know that it's not wasted. That none of it is wasted, that God, if you are clinging to Christ in them, if you're holding on to Jesus Christ for dear life in the midst of that thing, that he is using those struggles, he's using that hard thing to refine you and build character in you. He's helping you grow. And that's why James, in his letter, he says, count it all what? Joy. Joy. When you meet trials of various kinds. Why would the Bible say that? Because it's not wasted. He is using it to build character. And truthfully, when you come through it, or even as you're going through it, when you're holding on to Christ, you are able to then comfort others. Because you understand, you can look and say, I believe God is doing something in this and he is doing something in you. And so let's let's band together and not lose hope in the middle of all of it. So there's full justification, there's ongoing transformation, and then there's anticipated glorification verse 11, that I may, by any means possible, by any means possible, sorry, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul says that there's this day coming where I will experience salvation in its full and final form. He says, I look to this day that by any means possible, that I would attain the resurrection from the dead. He is not fearing death, he looks to it. He says, at that point, when it all comes to an end, I will be glorified. There's full, salvation will be experienced in its full and final form. And Paul's reality is our reality. First John 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. There's this anticipation. Something is coming. Watch this. But we know that when He appears, the return of Christ. We shall be like him. That is something to be joyful about. That we shall be like him. This verse is full of massive promise. See, when your week hits you hard this week, meditate on that. When somebody tries to steal your joy this week, when a situation tries to steal your joy, meditate on this. A day is coming where there'll be no more broken bodies. A day is coming where there'll be no more tears. A day is coming where human beings won't treat each other like trash. A day is coming where there'll be no more discouragement and disappointment. A day is coming where there'll be no more battle with sin. We'll be free of all of it. And we are to put our hope and our confidence in these things. That a day is coming that all we will experience is peace. All we will experience is rest and joy Everlasting with our Savior. You can see why Paul says, I treasure Christ more than anything else. What do you treasure? I've asked that question before in, a, in, a, in another one of these messages. What is your treasure? Because whatever you're treasuring, the Bible says there your heart is also. But our treasure, our greatest treasure should be Jesus Christ. Treasure him above all. All saying thank you, Jesus, for the cross. This is why verse one starts with rejoice because the reality is, every single day, every moment of the day, no matter what is going on, and something is gonna go on, you and me, we can be joyful because we have hope in Christ. The gospel has completely changed our reality. See, our joy is not based on our circumstances. Our joy is based on who God is, who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for us, what he is doing in us, and what he has promised to us. The reality that we are saved. That in this very moment, even though I can't feel it, I am being transformed, I am being changed and that in this very moment I have a future with a hope all because of the cross and so we say hallelujah for more resources or information about Hope Church visit HopeTorontoNorth.com